Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, tomorrow is Thanksgiving Day. It's a day on which we may remember God's care and provision over our lives in this past year. We thank God for the many material blessings that he has provided. We may live in an affluent society, and even if we may not be rich, we all receive food and drink, shelter and clothing from God's hand. Despite the fact that we may struggle with ill health, we live in a land that has an excellent health care system. If we look back in history, there are few people who enjoy the standard of living that we are accustomed to today. While we often take this for granted, on this Thanksgiving weekend, we praise God. We thank him for his rich blessings on our lives. Remembering God's blessings was something God taught his people to do in the Old Covenant. We read this morning from Deuteronomy 16 about how the Lord commanded his people to celebrate several harvest festivals. The people of Israel celebrated the Feast of Weeks at which they presented to the Lord the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Some three months later, when the harvest was complete, the people celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. During the seven days of this feast, the people dwelt in booths or tents, remembering how the Lord brought them from out of Egypt to Canaan. This feast was a celebration of their deliverance from slavery. It also gave God's people an opportunity to present thank offerings to the Lord for the productivity of the land. Now we know that the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Booths have found their fulfillment in Christ. We no longer keep these harvest festivals. And yet we have even more reason to be thankful than the people of Israel. Above all else, God has given us salvation in Jesus Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, we may share in all Christ's treasures and gifts. And so together with the Apostle Paul, we can say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. For beloved God has chosen us in Christ. He has adopted us as his children. Christ has redeemed us by his blood. He renews us by his spirit. In Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. As God's children, we truly have much for which to be thankful our thankfulness should not be restricted to one day. For us, every day should be a day of thanksgiving. Every Lord's Day should be a feast day. Both materially and spiritually, the Lord grants us such great riches. It's God's desire that we acknowledge that our blessings come from Him. He calls us to thank and praise him for all the benefits he bestows on us. He calls us to bring thanksgiving to God. He calls us 
to respond joyfully to the blessings he has provided. I preach to you the word of God under the following theme. The Lord asks for a thank offering from his people. We'll see the kind of offering in which God takes no pleasure and the kind of offering in which God delights. Psalm 50 begins with the Mighty One, the Lord, speaking. He addresses in particular his saints, those who have made a covenant with him by sacrifice. In verse 7, the Lord says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. The Lord has a complaint to make against his covenant people. A complaint about the way in which they served him. A complaint about the way in which they offered thanksgiving to him. Our text makes it plain that the Lord took no pleasure in the sacrifices that his people offered to him. So what was the problem with the offerings that the people of Israel brought before the Lord? Didn't they give enough? Or were they cheating God by giving him second best? The blind or lame or defective animals from their flocks? No. The Lord tells his people in verse 8 of our text, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. The problem was not with what Israel gave. The problem was rather in how they gave. The problem was that the Israelites' attitude towards God was wrong. You see, beloved, the people of Israel had not cast off all religion. They were not completely paganized. Satan is much more subtle than that. What he does is he blurs the lines. Satan blurs the distinction between holiness and wickedness. He mixes the evil with the good. He blends together falsehood with what is true. Psalm 50 shows us that the people of Israel kept an outward form of religion, but were at the same time led away from true faith. Because their sacrifices were not offered out of faith, they did not please God. Israel's problem was that the people didn't know themselves, and they didn't truly know God. Part of true faith is knowing that we are sinful, polluted people. It's knowing we need God's grace to save us from our sins. But the people of Israel did not recognize this. The Lord confronts his people with their sins in the latter part of Psalm 50. In verse 17, God accuses his people of hating instruction and discipline, of casting his words behind them. In verses 18 to 20, God charges them with being thieves and adulterers and gossips and slanderers. In reality, many of God's people were hypocrites. They were Sunday Christians who adhered to the formal worship of God, but who did not serve him in their daily lives. God's people had the idea that as long as they offered the prescribed sacrifices, they were okay. 
They thought that their burnt offerings and sin offerings were sufficient to cover them in the sight of God. They thought God would be happy with their thank offerings. But the problem was they did not understand the reason for sacrifices. They didn't understand that it was not the sacrifices themselves that pleased God, but rather a heart that was right before him. In their hearts, the people did not recognize their own sinfulness, and they were not thankful for God's grace in their lives. God's people had a foolish, a perverted perspective on sacrifices. They thought that their sacrifices enriched God. This thought was based on the fact that the people considered their possessions to be their own. Their attitude was that it was through their own labor that they had earned what they had. They thought their possessions were their own to keep or to give. They also had the attitude that if they gave things to God, God was indebted to them. They thought God owed them blessings because of the gifts they presented to him. Listen, beloved, to the Lord's response to this foolishness. In verses 7 to 9, the Lord says, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. In these verses, the Lord sets his people straight on the issue of ownership. God makes the point clear. It's all mine. The earth and all that is in it belongs to me. It was not God who was indebted to his people. It was the people who were indebted to God. For the Lord is the creator of this world and all that's in it. He's the one who gives us everything that we have. When the people presented an offering to God, they did not give him anything new. They gave back a small part of the gracious blessings God provided them. The basic problem that the people of Israel faced is that they had a faulty image of God. They considered him to be similar to the gods of the nations. They thought God depended on them for for his food and drink. But the Lord says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? God doesn't need Israel's offerings. He doesn't rely on people to fulfill any of his needs. It's as the Apostle Paul said in his address in the Areopagus in Athens, in Acts 17. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The people of Israel had forgotten that the Lord was God, that he was their creator, that he had redeemed them from bondage in Egypt. 
Yes, they celebrated the outward festivals in remembrance of this. But in their hearts, they made God into their own image. God accuses his people of this in verse 21. You thought that I was like yourself. In their minds, the people had lowered almighty God of heaven and earth to someone at their own level. The result of this was that they gave sacrifices for the wrong reason. That they presented gifts to God with the wrong attitude. And therefore the Lord took no pleasure in the offerings that his people presented to him. Beloved, when we consider the message of our text, our initial inclination is to think that we don't give offerings like this to God. But let us not forget that Satan, the father of lies, continues his work today just as he did in times gone by. How many of us don't have the attitude that our possessions are our own? That it's through our own hard work that we have earned what we have. The Lord desires a thank offering from his people. But how often don't we put God at the bottom of our list of priorities? Do you give of your first fruits to the Lord? Does God actually feature in your budget? Do you give regularly in support to the ministry of the gospel and mission work? Do you share of your blessings with those less fortunate than you? Or do you regularly attend church without making contributions and often let the collection bag pass you by? Do you figure that supporting the needy in our community is everyone else's job? That you don't need to volunteer your time and talents to help those around us? Ultimately, beloved, this is a faith matter. Are we trusting God will provide our needs? Do we believe Jesus' words when he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things, food and clothing and the necessities of life, will be added to you? Are we thankful to God for his wondrous works in our lives? For sending his beloved son to redeem us from our sins? And for indwelling us with his spirit so we can walk in holiness before him? Or is life just about me? About my comfort? My enjoyment? And beloved, when we do give to God of our time, our talents, and our treasure. We need to do so with the right mindset. Our giving doesn't put God in our debt. Sometimes when we contribute of our time to church work, we tend to think God now owes us something. When we make monetary contributions to church or school or other kingdom causes, we think we're doing God a favor. Our attitude can easily become one that without us, God is unable to accomplish his purposes in this life. Please examine your hearts, beloved. 
For otherwise we too may be in danger of presenting offerings and service in which God takes no pleasure. This brings us to our second point, and we'll see the kind of offering in which God delights. Our text teaches us that we too must bring an offering to God. Today, we no longer need to offer bulls and goats as sacrifices on the altar. God no longer requires guilt offerings and sin offerings from our hands. For the ceremonial law has been fulfilled. These sacrifices that Israel offered pointed forward to the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ has come into this world. He has offered up his own body and blood as a sacrifice for our sins. God in his grace has provided his son, Jesus Christ, as the way to escape from his wrath and to be restored to his favor. Thus, today is no longer necessary for us to offer up guilt and sin offerings to God. Yet our text teaches us to offer to God a thank offering. We read in Deuteronomy 16 that when the people came to worship God in their special feast three times each year, they were not to appear before the Lord empty-handed. Moses told them, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessings of the Lord your God, that he has given you. Verse 14 of our text tells us about the offerings in which God delights. It says, Offer to God thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Consider, beloved, what it means to say thank you. It acknowledges that someone has done something for you or has given you something. Thank you indicates that you are in someone's debt. God delights in the recognition that all we have has been given us as a gift of grace in Jesus Christ. He desires hearts that acknowledge that we have nothing that has not been first given to us. Our text teaches us to offer thanksgiving to God. The Israelites did this by presenting costly sacrifices. They came to the tabernacle and later to the temple with bulls and goats and sheep and other sacrifices. In the harvest festivals, the Lord taught them to offer up their first fruits to him. Not their leftovers, but the first part of the harvest God gave them. It's a principle we can learn from. God taught his people to give generously because he's a good God who provides abundantly for those whom he loves. In 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If we hoard all God's good gifts, we should not expect to continue to receive them. But if we are willing conduits of God's blessings, 
We may expect that our good God will provide abundantly for us. Paul writes, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving should be an expression of our trusting God and of our thankfulness to him. Beloved, consider with me our material abundance. So often we take for granted the homes we live in, our food and drink, the many luxuries God allows us to enjoy. But there are many in this world who do not know where their next meal is coming from or where they're going to lay down their head at night. Beloved, consider the health God grants us. Yes, we have members who struggle with ill health. For some, this can be a real trial in their lives. But God grants means by which we can get relief from pain. He grants various treatments and medications by which our lives are preserved. Accidents and illnesses that cause death in the third world are routinely dealt with by our health care system. Our life expectancy is 20 or 30 years more than people in many societies around us. And beloved, look around in the congregation here today. It's only by God's grace in Jesus Christ that we're all gathered together this morning. We didn't come to church on our own initiative. It's Christ, working in our hearts by his Spirit, who gathers us together. Christ is the one who gathers, defends, and preserves his church. Through his Spirit, he grants the assurance that we belong to him. Despite difficulties and trials in our lives, It's our Savior, Jesus Christ, who holds us fast in his love and care. Both materially and spiritually, we have much for which to be thankful. So besides our financial gifts, are there other ways in which we can show forth our gratitude to God? How does our gratitude find expression in our daily lives? God wants us to show forth our thankfulness to him by living our lives to his glory. In our text, God tells Israel that their outward religiosity did not please him. If the people did not live their lives in accordance with the Ten Commandments, God considered all their sacrifices worthless. Consider what Samuel said to King Saul when he kept part of the spoil of the Amalekites that was supposed to be destroyed. He said, as the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. God rejected Saul as king because he did not obey his command because he put himself and his own desires first. Our text instructs us to Perform your vows to the Most High. 
Many of us have made vows at our profession of faith, at our marriage, at the baptism of our children. Do you truly love the Lord? Is it your heartfelt desire to serve Him according to His word, to forsake the world and crucify your old nature? Do you live together with your husband or wife in love and holiness, helping each other faithfully in all things that belong to this life and the life to come? Do you as father or mother instruct your children in the doctrine of the word of God, teaching them to love the Lord and serve him? Let us offer to God, lives renewed by his grace. Let us be determined to live from out of the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. For God is pleased with those who honor the vows they have made to him. Our text concludes by teaching us that even in days of trouble, we can show forth our thankfulness to God. Our lives do not have to be going well for us to acknowledge God's grace. Verse 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Beloved, prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness to God. God wants us to look to him for everything we need. To call on him in all circumstances of life. By praying, we acknowledge our lives are in God's hands. The Lord teaches us to look to him for every need. To call on him every day. To put our hope and trust in what he will do for us. So, beloved, let us not appear before God empty-handed. Let us offer to him a thank offering for his grace and goodness in our lives with our hearts and lips and hands and lives. Let us show forth our thankfulness to God. And let's do so not just on Thanksgiving Day. Let's do so every day the Lord grants us on this earth. Together with the psalmist, let us say, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the midst of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing from Psalm 116, stanzas 7, 9, and 10.